0: TED Audio Collective. IAMS helps keep dogs playing year after year with our age-specific nutrition. Doesn't this voice sound familiar? How about this one? The pursuit of healthy, beautiful hair. The lengths we've gone to. The things we've tried.
1: The woman behind both of them is Mallory Kasdan. Mallory is a voiceover artist who lives in Brooklyn. She's the sassy mom next door who knows about the best sales, or the wise big sister who sympathizes with your yellow teeth and can recommend the best whitening strips.
0: After all, if you're not whitening, you're yellowing. So great.
1: Mallory made a very good living doing ads like these. Until recently, that is. Over the last couple years, she stopped getting as many auditions. And the job she did get paid less. Her industry changed, and now she has to too. I'm Anush Zamarodi, and this is Zigzag, the podcast about the changing culture of business and work. What happened to Mallory's job is becoming more and more common. First the web, then social media, now automation, are transforming entire industries, making it easier to find people who will work for less money or just getting rid of certain jobs entirely. Like what happened to this listener. There used to be a thing called newspapers, and one of the things that newspapers used to do was cover live local arts, theater, music, visual arts in the cities where they were being published. And I know this this sounds uh, I feel really like an old fogey saying this, but that has been completely eliminated. By you know, the recent changes in technology, and some of us used to be able to make a living writing for newspapers about live, local music and other forms of art that is now gone with the wind Oh, Will we hear you. When your job or industry changes drastically that can mean having to change your entire identity It definitely happened to me when I was a TV news producer back in the 90s. That field is completely different now Anyway, on this episode, we'll tell you what happened to Mallory, how she first found out she could embody the voice that ad agencies wanted, that voice of the everywoman, and how now Mallory is looking for her own voice and trying to get paid for speaking for herself. Stick around. You don't want to miss this one. And keep
0: the learning going.
1: Canva presents Unexplained Appearances, back. It's ZigZag. And if you've got a smart speaker in your house or use voice assist on your phone, you hear women talking all the time. Siri, Alexa. They tell you the weather. They set a timer. But before there were automated voices, there were people. Humans. Humans. And I don't know about you, but I never really thought about the person who voices all those ads we hear. I mean, on this podcast, you often have to hear me or my business partner, Jen, voice the ads. That's because advertising and the media industries are rapidly changing. And voiceover artists are being impacted, too. Which brings us to Mallory Kasdan. I met Mallory because her son and my daughter go
0: to the same school. And we met because I purchased an opportunity to have you clean up my phone. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Right? Yes. Manu ran auction. our school auction and did a really bang up job for a bunch <laughs> of years. She was the MC, And she was really so funny that I was like, wow. I mean, I knew you from the radio but i was like oh maybe i could buy my way into being friends with her oh my God. by you buying so her funny. for an hour you're kidding so but i but funny. i did that is how we met kind of
1: yeah that is how we met and we did become friends we did mallory is incredibly smart and empathetic and she's also brutally honest about what it's like to have your work and your life change in uncomfortable and uncontrollable ways ask her what she does and mallory now responds like many of
0: us do with a list of jobs and identities. I do a few different things. Lately I've been saying I'm a writer, I do voiceovers for commercials, and I have a podcast. And or I've said I make content lately, which I hate myself every time (laughs) I say it. But I have said it. So
1: it's interesting. I'm trying to think, you said depending on who you're talking to. So you're talking to the zigzag audience. Mm-hmm. And to me, well, you're a small business person. Mm-hmm. You are a freelancer. Mm-hmm. You are a pretty heavy-duty, active parent. Yeah. You do a, you're running like a circus right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> you have a lot going on. Can you describe where we are sitting and why you have this room?
0: Yes. So we are sitting in my home studio. So I have a really nice microphone and I have padding and a curtain and it makes it sound really good. So I can do voiceover work, which is what I've been doing for about 20 years from home. So I can audition, I can do sessions. And that became a real opportunity when I decided I wanted to do a podcast because I kind of had the setup. How did you get into voiceovers? I do not know the answer to this. Actually, I worked in book publishing. I was a publicist and i was working at penguin and i i was like kind of a low level publicist i think i was like an associate publicist and they gave me audiobooks as like a whole thing to be the publicist for so penguin audio was like a big deal cuz they would get all these really great actors to read classic books. And this was like pre, I mean, we're talking like cassettes and then DVDs. Right, before Amazon
1: and Audible and all that.
0: So it was like, and it was just like a big thing, but it was so niche, which is like kind of now what podcasting and audio has kind of become, I feel. But it was like, at the time, it wasn't like everybody in the world was listening to stuff in their car. Some people did. But the people that liked audiobooks really liked audiobooks. And so I just got interested in narrators. I took a class. I think that was the other thing is when I started... Paying attention to narrators, and I started paying attention to commercials, and I started thinking about it a little bit. And I was like, oh, I sound like people on TV. So Uh I could do that. And then I took a class, like, in a recording studio with, like, an old guy like this, you know, who was one of those. In the world. Yeah, one of those guys. Uh Because a lot of those guys teach voiceover. Also, this was 1996, 1997, and there was money to be made. And everybody talked about the money. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, this could be a really interesting thing to do. Do you
1: remember when you? Is there a specific booking that you got that you were like, okay, I'm good?
0: I think I booked a, like a razor commercial. Like that was one of the, like Venus or something. I think that was one of my first bookings. Then I think I booked like a big shampoo commercial, Physique.
1: Oh, I remember
0: that. And it was a really big one. And it felt like really possible. I think that part of what was happening in that time again. So, it was a time where they really wanted like real voices and they wanted like people that had grit in their voice. Like it wasn't a super polished live from yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. more, you know, hey, what's up? What's up, Manoush? Yeah. It's I, lo- sassy. I love my phone. You know, I love uh-huh. AT&T. It's amazing. <laughs> like it was sort of that kind of thing. So, they wanted you to be natural and sound normal. So, did you feel like you were just being yourself? Sometimes Sometimes I was being myself. Sometimes, I mean, they give you some direction. They'll be like, you know it was a cosmetic thing, so then you needed to sound a little more sophisticated or a little bit older or a little bit richer in your voice or deeper or a little sexier something like that. If it's something that was like, there was a lot of like that kind of, well, I don't know, like a lot of that Uh rye stuff that came out of like the 90s Daria area, (laughs) a lot of like that kind of flat thing that they wanted you to be like a hipster. So... Can They're, I
1: play one of my favorites? Yes, please And you tell do. me,
0: like, what, what was happening? Yeah. When Kate collects her pink YoPlay lids, she's supporting breast cancer programs for her neighbors, tennis instructors, daughters, first grade teacher, who's also her mom. Help fund breast cancer programs in your community. Redeem your lids today. Yeah, that was sort of, that's like hip mom. So it's like you have an agent, a talent agent that takes a percentage of your money, and then you have casting directors, which are traditionally hired by an ad agency to cast, and then they go to the agents to collect the, the talent. So they'll go to, like, my agency and five other agencies and say, I need hip mom. Or now I'm, like, an older mom. Or are I'm you like, older mom? Did you so start yeah, getting so now cast I for different things? Well, now I go out on a lot of, like, vagina dryness <gasps> stuff. No. Yes, I swear. And a lot of, like, pharmaceutical stuff where – Like osteoporosis? Yeah, like rheumatoid arthritis is a hugey so many rheumatoid arthritis drugs, and rheumatoid is really hard Can to say. Can you just
1: talk in, like, your mature, but, like, I'm yeah. taking care of this
0: voice? Ask your doctor about shmuggishmugg. Oh, yeah. I need the name of a drug. What um, would you call your rheumatoid it's arthritis called, drugs? So with a lot um, of X's and Y's.
1: Yeah, okay. Exlexica.
0: Like, Xlexka. yes. That's so hard to say. Um, ask your doctor about exlexica. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, like, caring. You care that the person is hurting. yes. But you also really want them to ask their doctor. Yeah, they really should. They really should because if they don't, gonna, it's gonna it's gonna creep up on you. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, and I and I still do. I do stuff for Nickelodeon a lot. I still have like oh a yeah, regular you're still the voice them. for Nickelodeon. Not V. Right? I'm one of a oh, one of. I've heard you a lot. Thank you. And that's great. And that's fun. And that's still. I'm a mom, but I'm a. I don't know what I am. I'm you're a, a mom oh God.
1: Give those kids their fruit snacks and their Nickelodeon while Seriously, I make dinner.
0: You know. Yeah. Like or you know, you're watching Friends, you know, like Uh, that uh kind of thing. uh Um, (laughs) And you were paying the bills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was really killing it for a long time. Pretty much for like, I mean, the last 20 years, I've maintained my health insurance through Screen Actors Guild. So to me, that's success. You know, I think one year I didn't make enough to make insurance because you have to make a certain amount in order to – I mean, originally it was just me that was being covered and then me and Evan and then now I cover everybody. And oh, So your whole family is on the policy that you correct. get through the union. Correct. That's why I stay in. I mean, I would never not stay in it because it was so good for so long and I was earning. But recently, like I'd say the last five years, things have really changed and things have gotten really hard. It's really hard to make a living doing it.
1: So let's – Talk about that. What has changed in the last five years? Was it a was it
0: like snap something changed, or was it a slow change? What happened? Well, we had a strike in I think it was two thousand one, and at that time, a lot of people started doing voiceover work who were not in the union because mm-hmm. a lot of ad agencies needed to fill those. They needed to make their commercials. So I started using non-union actors and then that sort of has been a, an issue for the union since then. I was still doing voiceovers and things were but things were starting to like dip. They were like, "What's happening with this industry? Like, why am I not having that many auditions and why is Julia Roberts doing insurance company commercials uh, and why is like every commercial I hear either a celebrity or or like an actress I don't recognize their voice after like running around with the same crew of Women my age, who all look different but sound like me, and and not hearing a lot of them, a lot of celebrities want to do this work because it's not that hard and they can earn well for, you know, whatever if they're in between something or even if they're not. And I think just as a culture, we've gotten much more people just no, you do can. not care anymore about plugging something. I just think it used to oh, be I see. A different animal in that movie stars didn't do stuff like that. Movie stars, it was seen beneath
1: them because they I were this so. upper class. No, you're yeah, totally like right. The and same that's
0: – Right. In the same way that now, like, everyone does television. Like, it's right. just – it's a different world now. Everyone is willing to shill. Everyone. And, like, it used to be that, like, w- there was a group of us who were all willing to shill, and we were kind of anonymous. It was a party. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like yeah. you'd pull in the receptionist, she'd get on a track, she'd make money from the union for that commercial. Like, it was like, <laughs> there was just money out there in the world in advertising, and people knew how to how to get it. Maybe that was greedy.
1: Okay, in a minute, more from Mallory. What happened when all those jobs went away? And what it means to decide to be more ambitious than ever after forty. Jen, my business partner, will be here too to weigh in on our own industry and to talk about what we can learn from Mallory's experience. Stick with us. We're back. I'm Anoush. This is Zigzag. So Mallory Kasden, she's voicing the so-called every woman the hipster mom, more recently, the older, mature woman. And then the jobs start drying up. So Mallory decides she needs to be in charge of the work she's doing, her destiny. And the only way to do that is to be herself. So she starts writing a mommy blog, exploring her own world, parenting, aging, relationships. Now she has a podcast called Milk, Mothers I'd Like to Know. I feel a little conflicted about the mommy industry, as people call it. Mallory knows I feel conflicted. So the day before I went to interview her, she sent me a link to a great article in Topic.com called The Mommy Blog is Dead, Long Live the Mommy Blog, by a woman named Liz Lentz. Parts of this article
0: really spoke to Mallory. She describes sort of the feeling, the very supportive, you-go-girl feeling, which I related to a lot as someone who's been hustling my own podcast that is mom content. But she also talked a little bit about like the kind of the history of mom bloggers and sort of like how that happened. And I guess also in the early aughts, that's sort of when blogging started, right, would you say? Yeah. And just sort of like the idea that moms really just needed an outlet because it's boring and because they're isolated or they just want to say stuff or they want to be honest and how that kind of sincere desire for connection – grew into a marketing kind of business and how a lot of these parents ended up making money and were able to support their families while being at home with their kids or while driving in the minivan and kind of using it as like a way to commoditize (laughs) (laughs) maternity. (laughs) Which which like to me, thinking all about all that ad work I did when I was told to be a hip mom or I was told to be a compassionate mom doing the Tylenol and doing the it's sort of the same thing. It's just I was just anonymous. It was less confessional. It was a little bit confessional. But now we've gotten to a place that is so confessional that it's almost an assault, I think. It's almost like, whoa, like it's a lot. And that, I think, is what she was sort of talking about, the difference between then and now in terms of how people are making money off of their lives as mothers. Right? Would you say? What am I missing from this? I'm no, missing I something. Think,
1: I think what you're saying is exactly right. But what I realize I've left out is a key moment in your life— Two key moments really. One, becoming a mother, Mm -hmm. and two, deciding to start your podcast. And I feel like I need you to talk about those two things before
0: we circle back to the mom commoditization thing. Yes. I had my, my daughter's almost 13. And so I had her in 2006. And at that time, my VO career was still really very strong. You know, I really didn't stop working at all. I mean, I think I probably took like a few weeks or something. And then, but then, you know, I had a babysitter and I could totally afford to have a babysitter between the hours of nine and four 30. And I used to work a lot and I used to audition a lot. And I'd call her the night before I'd say, these are my hours. Can you come this and that? And she was totally cool with that. As long as we met the 25 hour or 30 hour a week threshold. And it was great. I was adjusting to my life as a mother and I was a little bit brain dead. Like I had yeah. done some writing leading up to that. And those were like my amazing years between like doing really well. And I was living with Evan. And then my kid came and that kind of like, you know, messed up the imbalance a bit, only in terms of brain cells. Like I couldn't really (laughs) access my brain cells and I couldn't really pitch. It was was enough just to manage her and the voiceover work. So that was kind of fine. And then I started dabbling a little bit in the mommy blogging. And then I had my second kid and then that just went, that was just a lot, you know? <laughs> it was just a lot. And to be, like, no, I think when you're a creative person and you're trying to make your way moving forward when things change, and, like, it was really disruptive. Not disruptive because I wanted it. I wanted to have two course, kids. I wanted to have yeah. this family. But it was a lot. And I
1: think of it as disorienting.
0: Disorienting.
1: I'm like, wait, who am I? Because all the work I did was based on who I was before, but now I'm a different person. So what do I do now? Right, exactly. (laughs) I remember being like angry to my mommy friends. I remember being bitter when there was a mom who seemed happy because I was so sleep deprived and and miserable, and I unexpectedly so. Yeah, and I was like, oh, she's a happy mommy, right? And then fuck her, right? Fuck her, right? And then a few months later, I got to know the happy mommy, and she was deeply, deeply unhappy. Yeah, and it was like, oh, we're All going through this, just nobody told us that this was going to happen. And I feel like to become a mom now, maybe this is just my impression. They kind of know more what they're getting into, I think, because there is so much ultra confessional stuff going on right now. I think
0: so. But again, we're not tired anymore. That's one thing. I think it's like you're (sighs) still really exhausted. And now we're speaking from a a distanced place from that from that period, which is just awful. It and it's also awful. hard. It's also hard to not just be like completely negative. And I think I was thinking about this earlier. Like I feel so much more positive now about mm-hmm. everything, despite the state of the world is in such a bad place, that much a worse place than it was ten years ago. I feel more positive, and I know it is just because sleep. I'm not so tired.
1: Once she wasn't so tired, Mallory's creativity started sparking again. And one of the first things she did was write a children's book called Ella. It's a parody of the classic Eloise about the girl who lives at the plaza. Ella lives in a hipster boutique hotel in Williamsburg, Brooklyn.
0: There was a period, like in that time, mm-hmm. where I was really. Anxious because I was like, well, I want to make things. And that really came to me, and it was like, oh, this is a good idea. Like, and it was marketable. (laughs) I was like, this is a good one. So that was cool. And then it sold, and people bought it. And I got to be an author, which is super cool. And getting to like go to bookstores and do readings and go to classrooms and do little workshops about parody. And that's been so fun. And that happened around, yeah, so that got published in 2015. And then, so I was starting to seek out other things. I was starting to think like, okay, well, I'd like to make a podcast. I'd always thought about it. I had been this big like kind of radio person and really loved the medium and felt like I could do it. I think I was still feeling a little bit like in that mommy world of I'm not interesting anymore. Like I'm not – you know what I mean? I'm just kind of like a little bit dull or a little bit – the things I like to talk about are sort of specific to being a mother. But then I started – thinking, that is insane. Like, I know so many awesome people, awesome women who are just kicking ass and, and are managing to do all of the things. And maybe they're not doing all of the things perfectly. I was never drawn to, like, so how do you do it all? Like, it, you know, like that <laughs> kind of crap. I was more interested in what do you care about still and how are you continuing to pursue it? Like, it's hard. There's a lot pulling at you. How do you do that? specifically, how do you do it? I mean, I really wanted to know because I was starting to feel more ambitious. I was starting to feel more creatively and just bigger. I wanted bigger. I wanted more. So it started with writers, actually. There are a couple writers, Jennifer Egan, Meg Wolitzer, and the couple of specific books that they wrote that I felt this mother voice in the books. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, I guess I'm not describing it perfectly, but I Uh, I was moved by that. I was like, oh my God, this woman is a mother. (laughs) I can tell by the way she's writing. And similarly, Meg Wallitzer had written a book called The Ten-Year Nap, which also just killed me. And it was all about ambitious women who spent all this time raising their kids. And then their kids like went to fifth grade and they were like, what? Who am I? What? Yeah. So those two books in particular, I was like, oh, these women are milks. These women are moms I'd like to know. You know, I was being like, oh, this is a good phrase. I need to use this somehow. So I wrote it down a bunch of times. I wrote some blog posts about it. And then I was like, doing this. I'm going to try. I'm going to make this. And I just had no idea what I was doing. And I just started inviting women that I thought were awesome over to my house and interviewing them the way that we're doing now and trying to put it together. So yeah, so I made a bunch of them. I made 45 episodes. Wow. and 45. I 45. That was my first season. And then I just was like learning and trying to make it better and trying to, but you know, doing it all myself. So the podcast is great.
1: And I'm not just saying that. Thank you. But a lot of people have good podcasts right now.
0: Yep. Is it is? Are you covering your cost? Are you making money? No, I am not making money yet. But I started to um, do ads. I am with Anchor. You can start doing ads with one listener if you want to. This is the thing about <laughs> like when you make your own stuff and you are trying to figure out what you are worth. I think that's where I, what I am in now is like, can I make this my business model? My business model is that I would like to get paid to make this somehow. So I'm figuring it out. Is it good enough to be with a network that will pay me more or sell ads that are going to make me more money? It's not going to be everything to everybody. It's a niche thing. It's about moms who do interesting things and like to talk honestly about life. It's not going to be about every type of mom in the world. It's not going to be – it's – you know, I'm not saying that I'm changing the, like, discourse about parenting. No. This is a lens I like to look at things in. Like, I'm 46 – People are passing. Things are changing. There's a lot about life that is about loss, and I'm interested in it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not scared to talk about it. I want to talk about it. So that's what I'm talking about. Everyone's trying to figure out how to make money right now. Everyone's trying to figure out how to make their business work. And there's so much pressure on the social media part because I feel like it looks like it should work and be easy, but it's really not. And I'm not finding it to be particularly – fluid or like... Or even
1: helpful sometimes. Or even helpful
0: and mostly not helpful, mostly stressful and anxiety producing, I think.
1: I think actually we've drawn the circle here, which is this idea in the article that we've been talking about, this idea of commoditizing parenthood. Yeah. It makes us feel, some of us, a little icky. Commoditizing loss. Yep. Commoditizing things that were previously pretty private. Yes. For our generation, at least. Yes. Yes. But on the other hand, we're not at a point where women are getting paid equal for doing all the other jobs. And this is something that needs to be talked about right now to change the culture so that we do get to equal pay, so that we do get to equal
0: opportunity. And that parenting has a value beyond this patronizing, oh, yes, you know, someone should be at home with the kids. Right. Well, OK, how is that going to work? Exactly. And I think it's so interesting because we have very – most of us, we think we have egalitarian relationships. I think that from looking at what you have and what I have, that it is pretty good. I mean, my husband shops and cooks and – Yeah, we've it, got it good. We've got it good. But there is still a layer of this invisible labor that leaves a frustration point for women and they're not necessarily getting recognized. It's still not valued in the way that we're not getting—there's not good policies, and there's not good support for it being the kind of thing where you can take a break from your career in a real way and be with your kids and get back in there.
1: I, we were on the phone talking about what we were just setting this up, and you said—you got really fired up, and you were like, I am 46, and I am still ambitious. Is that okay? <laughs> and I was like, hell yes, it's okay. But 46—what else are you supposed to be at 46?
0: right. What am I going to, like, just throw in the towel? I don't know. Because no. like we
1: still have a lot of life ahead of us, first of all. Second of all, a lot of bills to pay. Hell yeah. So
0: what's the plan? <sighs> I don't know. I keep thinking if I make good stuff, it'll work out for me. But I'm not sure that that's true. I don't know. I've been really lucky. It's been really easy. I don't know what is the next step. I mean, I think I'm going to keep making things and try to collaborate with people to make things. And I can help people make things. And, you know, these are my skills. I can talk and I can write. And I like to connect. You know what I mean? If I was in an interview, that's what I'd say. I I just think if you're going to make your own thing, which is what I'm doing, and build your own career. You have to just stay strong because like you can have one or two or three things happen in a week and feel like a big loser. And then you can have, like, a few great things happen. This woman wants to maybe make a TV show out of my book. I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen. We signed a thing. So maybe. But then I wrote another book, and, like, a lot of people aren't interested in it. And, like, that's sad. I had an interview for something, and, like, that didn't work out. So it's like you can't base your feeling on what's happening to you right now. I don't, as hard as that is, that's sort of what I keep experiencing. Try not to be so reactive to each thing that happens and be a little bit more chill how do you um, stay chill? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not chill. I'm super not chill. But I'm happy. Be, like, I guess just going back to the loss thing, it's, I mean, honestly, just things keep happening. Can people. you please
1: just tell them, listener, what happened?
0: Oh, so my friend, my dear friend, got really sick really fast and died. And it was terrible. And she's my mom friend, and she was a wonderful person. Her name was Heather. And it was just like a crazy situation where – she was fine, and then she got cancer, and then she wasn't fine. And it happened really quickly. How quickly? Well, you know, she we're not really exactly sure, but she got diagnosed in February, and she was gone in a couple of weeks, the way that it sort of went down. I mean, that's oversimplifying things. but And she was a, a person, like I described, not just an acquaintance, but one of my really good friends. And, you know, our families are friends, and our kids are friends, and we spend lots of time in this kind of group of families, and it's been devastating for all of us because it's just so weird. Like, where does a person go? You know, it's like she wasn't sick for very long, and she just is gone, and it's just bizarre. And so it kind of really shook me, and I'm really thinking so much about the idea that, like, we don't have a lot of time. So, like, yes, 46 is – we have plenty of time in front of us, but then you actually don't know if you do or not. It's really, really – really important to just kind of do what you want to do and try to be happy with what you have. That's the thing is I really have a lot in my life, and I'm really happy. And I've had a lot of great opportunities and done cool stuff. I just want to keep doing cool stuff. And I want the opportunity as like a woman in my 50s and 60s to keep doing those things. So I don't know. I guess am I answering your question? More than answering am the I, question. Yeah. Yeah. I am I, um, – I'm so thankful for my female friends. I'm so thankful for all these groups and group texts and all of this energy I get from the women in my life. And I want to kind of amplify that and give it back in some way. So my real goal at the moment is just to find these stories and find these women and talk to them and understand where they're coming from and share that. That's what I'm doing short term. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's like a plan, really, like a solid Plan, plan, but like I have, like you said, I have my own business. I started a little LLC. I got a name. I got a bank account. I got a credit card. I'm trying to be not just freelance Mallory doing the three things I said at the beginning, but like Mallory. Thing. I don't know what. What am I? I'm like Mallory Inc. Inc. LLC. LLC. Esquire. Yeah. Esquire. <laughs> just hang a shingle. Any any initials will do. Last thought. Yes. I find you to
1: be a very high functioning human being. Oh, How do you, you
0: get your creative juices flowing?
1: Do you have like a formula or does it just like spout out of you?
0: Well, like what can I tell you? I mean, I'm alone a lot when my kids aren't here, and I savor that time so much because they're so fucking loud. I mean, <laughs> this whole family is like noisy and are big 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 mouths and big hair and big attitudes. <laughs> And I feel like I have to really protect my quiet time now, and that's when things generate. What you really need to do, and you know this because you wrote a whole book about it, is you have to turn off your phone. Yeah. You have to stop looking at things and comparing yourself to people and really just think about, like, what moves you, what makes you laugh, what makes you feel something. That's sort of the thing that gets me. Also, now I really need endorphins. That's something that happened Mm. in the last five years. Like, I need to physically sweat and feel endorphins. That to me is very invigorating and gets my brain going, I think.
1: We're leaving it there. Mallory Kasdan, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Mnuchin. That was Mallory Kasdan. Jen, I just want to tell people that you're here first of all. Jen Point, my business partner, is here. Hello, everyone. But I want to tell them, if Mallory's voice speaks to you, do check out her podcast, MILK. It stands for Mothers I'd Like to Know. And with me now as a mother, I'm glad I know. (laughs) Dork. My business partner and longtime producer, Jen Poyant. Jen, I got to say, I love talking to you after these interviews because (laughs) your analysis is always so different from mine. What, pray tell,
2: struck you this time? (laughs) I am so curious. So you remember how after the Grace Bonney interview that we did, the episode with Grace Bonney from Design Sponge, like, what was that, a month ago? Yeah, a month ago.
1: She's shutting down her business.
2: Yeah, yeah and I had all, the, all these feels. You, had lo- <laughs> <I had a laughs> you always feels. have feels. So I had feels, too. By the way, I, I want to preface this by saying I respect Mallory and her work and her life experience. So there were parts of this interview that made me feel uncomfortable.
1: Why would you feel uncomfortable?
2: <laughs> well, I think part of it is because it reflects our own journey oh, uh, to some extent. And so I found myself kind of selfishly comparing myself to her.
1: You're like, I'm telling my story. Am I going to get paid? That? Yeah, basically. Uh-huh. But I also found
2: myself feeling a little, I don't know if envy is the right word or... Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a way of telling her story in a way that it just sounds so damn easy, like the first 15 years. And I don't mm. think that that's actually the case. Like, I can tell that there was some real struggle there. But I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be nice to, like, work in an industry that you're making hand over fist for the first 20 years, and then it, and then it shifts. Like, we're in a weird position where we worked in public radio, mm. and we, you and I both did not make a lot of money, so we were mm. working for the mission— mm-hmm. And then we got into podcasting with what feels like is now a, a big shift is happening and we're not sure there's going to be any money in the industry. She had this th- this period
1: of like kind of a nice life, it sounds so like. So you're saying like she, at least she had the cash cow, even if it doesn't work out. And you're saying, I might never have the cash yeah, cow. Yeah. <laughs> and that
2: all sounds ridiculous.
1: Like I realize how how self-absorbed, I really do
2: realize how self-absorbed but That's that why sounds. we listen but to the
1: podcast. I'm a little
2: envious of her. I'm like, oh, that's that was kind of nice that she had that nice life, and now she's, she's shifting in a way that I also feel very scared for her. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. In, a, in the same way that when we launched, a lot of listeners called in, and they were terrified for us every week until we were able to tell them, no, 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 we're, we're going to be okay.
1: I would say the one big difference is that you've been making audio content your entire career, so if anyone is qualified to make a podcast and make money from it, it's you, sister. That's true. Which makes me even more scared
2: for her. Not that—I think what she's doing is great and she makes good content. It's, it's more, is the industry going to support everyone that makes good content? It can't.
1: It just can't. Right, and
2: we're in a luckier position, I think, or a more fortunate position in the sense that because we come from public radio and we're in this very small group of content makers, we're networked into
1: that, that group. That's not luck.
2: This is how our industry has changed fortunate.
1: and there's opportunity there. Yeah. And that – and we just have to be smart about going off and getting it. Right. Was there something else that struck you about this interview? It was two women of – you know, who live in Brooklyn, yeah. who went to like yeah. you know, college. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there was a part of that, honestly, a little there? bit of that for me. A, a little bit. Like, oh, should we go get oat milk latte? A little bit. <laughs> like that?
2: Yeah. Again, I'm going back to that. <laughs> she ever, she ever, I'm like, that sounds like she had a really nice life. You know, and I'm I'm not complaining about my life. I am also a white woman that's middle—you know, grew up in a middle-class family and a privileged upbringing in many ways. Um, but I've, I don't think I've ever said to anybody, it was so easy,
1: you know, like that's— Well, it wasn't. Right. I mean, what if— she has a gift. Her voice is amazing, yeah. and like it happened right time, right place. Yeah, no, totally, like, it's damn, cool. That's cool. Know? And
2: but yeah, there, there, there is in in that sense. I guess for me hearing the listener that sent in the voice memo about being a kind of like a local reporter arts mm-hmm. reporter and how that job is gone it's so sad exactly that's like crushing to hear that man tell that story even even though he did it in such an upbeat and sweet way yeah and the i guess there's a part of me that thinks about all the people that haven't even had the chance to get into those careers right. and then see them fall away it's interesting. there we
1: i guess the whole point is that we are still sitting from a very privileged position going forward you know, that's the big question on a macro level. Like, what are the jobs gonna be? Where are the jobs gonna be? I don't know. How do you I mean you don't train to be a voiceover artist like or she didn't, right? Like she um, kinda of fell into it. She kinda in fell way. into it. But I think this idea of like the future of work And people being able to pivot into what skills can you have that make you malleable in some way. Right. Mallory talking about her skills that she has.
2: Right. But I think the other thing that's so fascinating about this interview that ties into what you were just saying, that, that pivot, is that for so long women have automatically turned their skill sets as mothers to pivot into making money. That's something that's really fascinating that came out of this conversation. Uh-huh. Like the mommy, Not so long.
1: That's only really the last 10 years. Or recently then.
2: But, yeah. but still, the idea that even now, women who have struggled to get into all sorts of industries have figured out that, well, I have a skill set of being a mother and talking about that, that's interesting to me. I mean, that's... Just being resourceful. But it also just
1: reflects like the lack of opportunity for people and for women to get to get into other industries I remember when a while back you and I tried to book a very prominent mommy blogger mm-hmm. and we said but we don't want it to just be like you know an interview like oh my god how amazing is your life sort of thing we want remember. to go you don't remember this we wanted to go behind the scenes like to talk to her about like how she stages her oh, life oh well, yeah I remember do you remember that. this yeah. and she was like I'm no. not doing that yeah because of her, it's her livelihood. Yeah. She can't yep. do that. She couldn't be like, yeah, so my kid barfed over there, so we just turned the camera this way. Like she – her whole image was about she just happens to be having this amazing life and it's aspirational. I know there are other mommies who like it is all about the barf and being able to laugh that you have kids. Yeah. But, you know, that wasn't her brand. And so she was like, nope, not doing it. It's interesting, the mommy branding and mommy blogging and mommy podcasting and mommy stuff and – on the one hand, I think it's – like I said, I think it's really great for younger women to be able to talk openly about the conflictedness that they feel about being a parent. On the other hand, like, I don't know. There's something yucky about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never been into
2: mommy blogs. Like, never. Not, I never – I don't think I've ever read one.
1: What about when, like, your kid was, like, miserable and colicky? Did you not look anything up and, like, commiserate? No. but That might have been why I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> I'll we tell you, can't use that. There were t- yes, we should. There were two things when I first had my kid, and I felt like I was having my mental breakdown. There were two things. There was, um, it was Brooke Shields. Yeah, you told her me book. About this. That's right, her book about having postpartum depression. I was very grateful to Brooke Shields if she's listening. Um, and uh, Moxie, ask yeah. Moxie. That was a great blog. I wish somebody
2: had recommended a little bit. I was pretty. I was strangely isolated after I had my kid because I had moved to a new place, and I just didn't do that. I don't know. I listened to podcasts. Did you? They were around? It was really new. I was listening to a lot of Lab.
1: <laughs> Bless you. I should, probably should have reached out to more mommy blogs. I think that the point, I'm going to sum up here. The point here <laughs> is that transition and change is freaking hard, whether that means becoming a parent or changing your habits or rethinking how you make money, whatever it might be. I think when money factors in, big time that really is hard it's hard to stick to like something you want to really want to do versus paying the bills yep. versus all the things it's but, yeah go ahead well that it's was my interesting transition sentence but go ahead sorry
2: i'm like oh i want to say more now you know change is constant in our lives but i think the thing that for me this conversation between you and and mallory reflects how it's particularly challenging for women when it comes to the, the nexus between motherhood and career mm-hmm. it's hard, it's honestly it's harder we there are hormones involved, and you've just made a baby inside your body, and well, now I'm at another point where i'm like, is am I in perimenopause? Is that what this is? I don't right, so I think the, I'm too I mean, young they, for it,
1: but maybe I'm not that's called the quote-unquote, the change, right? That's the big change other than having babies. But then I didn't realize there's this thing that happens before the big change, the change before the change. What I know. The? That's very that's confusing. so unfair. But they
2: also kind of say it can start, like, really early. Like, now In they're just—
1: 30s, but then Like, also, where, like, women are no, just, like, understand. pop out babies, and then all of a sudden it's, turn into, like— Men just—boys turn into men, and then they have a very gradual decline, and then they die. Women, it's like a zigzag. Exact. Oh! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another reason— that it's good we called this podcast zigzag.
2: Right, but also men have generally had access to the best jobs, the best job opportunities,
1: the best education
2: opportunities. And so women, in between all that zigzagging with our bodies and baby-making and hormones, also are trying to find ways to work and to create careers and create a sense of self that's
1: somehow fits into all of that. It's hard. I love that. Okay. That's going to be our question to the listeners this week. We really want to hear from you. Is something changing in your life? Are you zigzagging? Maybe you think something that we said. Maybe you disagree with it. Use your voice. Record a voice memo. You can also just write a note to us. That's fine, too. Email us at zigzag@stableg.com. At that is zigzag@stableg.com. You might just hear yourself on the show. Also, I hope you're signed up for the newsletter that I send out every other Thursday. I write a special note. I've got links. I go behind the scenes. I have some funny pictures I'm going to put in it this week. Please be sure to sign up on our website. It's free, by the way. And we won't spam you, I promise. At stableg.com. Or remember it as (laughs) stableg.com. All right. This episode was produced by me and Jen Poyant. Matt Boynton is our audio engineer and sound designer. David Herman is our composer. Maria Wortel is our production coordinator. Many thanks to Anya Zhezik for her audio engineering skills, too. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and please
2: share this episode with five people.
1: Oh, that's your new thing. Yeah. Say it again.
2: Please share this episode with five people. Stableg.com. Word of mouth is the way that people learn about us.
1: Okay, bye. Every woman for the ad agency. Kicker. her.